Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about open source. And really, we talk about how to make open source go faster or how to improve its interaction with vendors, especially hardware vendors. Uh, we have a really interesting conversation. We, we chase a lot of different detailed topics here about how open source helps foster innovation and where it creates ethical, financial, legal conflicts in that process. Uh, and so if you're in the open source communities, um, and everybody is nowadays, the questions that we talk about are really important to understand and thinking through how we want to bring vendored information into open source communities is an ongoing challenge that I know you will learn a lot in listening to our conversation. Enjoy it. If Twitter rejects the rescission, they can force them to pay lots of money and come to a new uh, agreement. And the SEC, uh, he's been in trouble with the SEC so many times, it's not even funny. I don't think he can be, I don't think he's officially CEO anymore of, of Tesla because the SEC forced him to uh, out of that position with, and it's time when they find him an, another time. I, he's definitely been manipulating markets from that perspective. Um, well, it turns out he's also one of the chief users of Twitter bots. Oh, what? He He's used Twitter bots to promote Tesla and to promote his uh, tweets. Call me surprised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did... did is this legitimately, I mean, it's so speculative, is this legitimately a business decision at this point, or you just accomplish what you wanted to accomplish and damage the brand? Well, that's a good question. And that's uh, both the, uh, the um, seeds of another lawsuit and also the uh, seeds of another SEC investigation. Yeah. I, I mean... I think he's dumb enough to have actually thought that he could just buy a Twitter and, and change the platform on, at a whim. Uh, and, mm -hmm. yeah. But now that he's realized that it doesn't work like that, he's, <laughs> of course, backtracking. What's, what I think is going to be more interesting is seeing what the fault is going to be for him as the business person in, in the future. Because, I mean, he's... He's proven he's he's toxic to Twitter. He's he's not exactly endearing himself with the Tesla stuff, given what he's been doing for the past week. Um, if he quits, either is he going to be wanted on the board of any other company? Very good question. If they can stop him, I mean, even even the way he took. Uh, shares, right? They're investigating him not announcing that he had bought the percentages that he bought. Yeah, and he got a big fine over the Solar City stuff too. I did, I'm not aware of the Solar City stuff. Oh, uh, 
there is a point when Solar City was not officially part of the uh, Tesla umbrella, and uh, ah, right, he okay. brought it back in. He's actually done significant, even deadly damage to a number of companies through things he's said and done. And uh, the SEC definitely has his eye, their eye on him. But like Klaus said, he's, he might actually become so toxic that boards might not want him. And unlike real estate, he that sort of thing is a lot harder to um, to to rebuild after you've lost your Teflon. I, he has been incredibly, yeah, boy, like even the Dogecoin and the other meme stock stuff. But I, I think it, that's what's interesting. There are people who dig in deeper. This is sort of the whole climate that we're in. And then there's... Um, uh, there's people who dig in deeper and people who start deciding they can't, can't do it. Like I won't, I won't use his products. It's funny. This is, I mean, I guess part of the, our topic today is, um, based on what, what we're learning from him. Um, but at the same time, it makes, you know, I'd be dubious about adding, adding any weight to his, uh, bankrolls. Well, I've got, Solar City solar panels on my roof. That's a PPA, but so I can't get out of that one. But I'd never buy a, a Tesla, especially with their quality uh, uh, ratings. Yeah. Again, the the companies that he that he builds, they, I mean, they're, they're certainly producing interesting products. Yes. Uh, but for the most part, it kind of feels like he's jumping from proof of concept to proof of concept. Exactly. Uh, and, and then it just gets abandoned in the POC stage and, and, and never goes to production quality. Yeah, he gets bored once he shows he can do it. Look at, look at the, what they did also with Powerwall, like that, that. Yeah. Right. And also his, his solar, his solar roof tile things, right? There's, there's, they're selling them now. Okay. But, but then again, Siemens had working ones long before Solar City did and Tesla. It's just that Siemens wasn't quite as pretty. Mm. I'm, I'm arguably, arguably putting regular solar panels on your roof is going to be more efficient as well. Yeah. Cheaper to fix as well. Oh, yeah. I actually heard something interesting from a friend who uh, has spent a lot of time living as an expat in Hong Kong and doing itinerant coding. And he says that in China, all those panels that, that have like bad cells and whatnot, they cut them up and then they use them, the smaller chunks in all of our consumer stuff so like those oh that makes sense yeah. those cute little lights you have out in in your uh backyard it's large solar panels that that didn't perform well enough that they cut them up and they took the good pieces makes sense i mean technically that, that's what intel has been done with with uh, the various processor gears as well is that the, mm -hmm. the ones that then pass the qa for for the the higher tier 
that disables certain sets of uh, of the chipset and and then resold them as the as the lower tier. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's been done for years in the uh, the chip in decades, multiple decades, where they test everything and and the ones with the higher uh, uh, toler the ones with the tighter tolerances get sold as the expensive ones, and the ones with that don't meet those tolerances just get sold as the cheaper ones. Mm-hmm. So now that you brought up Intel, you reminded me of something, and that is. I saw a nice little note about Linux kernel and Intel and whether Intel building their software firmware switches into the Linux kernel was a valid thing. And so there's a fight over whether Mm. Intel can put those switches into the kernel. Like like actual switches? Like I'm confused. Like so feature switches. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, turning okay. turning on feature those. Feature enabled. Yeah. <laughs> and folks are sitting there going, "Well, it's you sell the enhancements, so it's not clear that we can actually put that into the kernel as your control." <laughs> Wait, so so I this this actually ties into the, the topic of the day. And so I want to rewind this and make sure I understand it because I think it's a fascinating aspect here, right? So Intel has chips with different different capabilities and performance factors. <gasps> Sorry, my cat just grabbed my oh. with her claw. <laughs> Uh, I thought you were shocked. <laughs> I, I thought it was a nice sarcastic. Uh, um, so, she's got so, the so, sharpest claws, and she just reached up and hooked it into my toe. <laughs> that is that is very cat behavior. Yeah. Yep. But so, but so, so in, Intel's Intel's got different capabilities. My my assumption would be that if they have different capabilities in the chips, then the right the, the software they that you could add something into the kernel and it just wouldn't work. But you're describing a gray zone where what they'd have to have software that enables those features. Yes. And only works for those features. Mm-hmm. And also <sighs> turning it off. It's like uh people are sitting there going, This is open source. We don't want to have something in our open source that closes somebody's uh, one company's private chips. Yeah, that, that, that's almost like like trying to do a DRM via the Linux kernel. Right, right. And in the past, oh, Intel actually had firmware or or FPGA program or whatnot that would turn on or off the feature. Well, they don't want to put that into their chip anymore. They just want the Linux kernel to do it for them. There was some oh, some other. Uh, but go ahead, uh, No, no, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I still need to find the the, the source. Um, there was something else going on with the, the Linux kernel as well with Nvidia. Oh. Yeah, yeah actually, I and there's there, there's a lot of activity around around that. Um, no, I mean, 
so right the topic the topic that we had talked we were going to continue on today from a couple of weeks ago was is open source fast or slow um and yes <laughs> and, and, and so yes it is fast or slow um but one of the things that you're describing is there's there's innovation that Intel's trying to move into the software to unlock capabilities of chips. Software is going to be faster than silicon, so they mm-hmm. can they can get the you know they don't have to they, they can let the silicon get out there and then sell the enablement feature, control the enablement feature. Um, that makes a ton of sense to me. But yeah. I, I can see the Linux community. So that makes sense. And if, if it was just a regular operating system that Intel controlled, they could rev those things really fast. The gatekeeping of the kernel of the Linux community, um, ah, this is a, a really interesting dilemma. <laughs> yep. I mean, the, the kernel is forkable. So, so if Intel wanted to distribute their, their own kernel with their own patches, they could do it. Um, but they, they would certainly not be able to reach as big of an audience as if it got merged into the mainstream kernel. But, but them maintaining their own fork is actually really, really counterindicated because then your, you know, your Red Hat, your Canonical, Debian, whatever, none of those things would pick up the capability. They, you'd be forced to use Intel's Linux. Yep. Um, I mean, it, 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 it doesn't have to be a full fork. It can also be a patch. It, mm. Historically, uh, a lot of those changes sure. has been done that way in, in, the, in the Linux community. So like a kernel, a kernel patch, changing out a kernel module, like we, we did with Docker for a long time. Yeah. Oof. That was driving people nuts too, because actually, can we drill down on the Docker piece for a minute? Because when Docker came out, right, it wasn't natively supported in anything. And you had to do a kernel mod to include Docker support. And, um, and that was super sketchy from from a you know a corporate management perspective. Yeah. Um, ah, I it but it also let people experiment with Docker uh, pretty quickly. So the people who could apply that patch, or if you could do it in labs, we had a way to, to basically munge the operating system to to open a huge amount of innovation. From that perspective, that was great. Did that require it to be open source? <laughs> or was that just the modularity of Linux? So the modularity is uh, is interesting, but I can easily see Intel wanting it in the kernel because people are loath to modify the kernel. Whereas if it were a piece of firmware or a piece of software outside of something so large as the kernel, People would be coding up the the keys left and right to open up the functionality of the the chip. So it could be easily that Intel is it's a calculated people won't touch the kernel, whereas we're getting people jailbreaking our chips left and right otherwise. I... Wait, jailbreaking the chip? Like 
enabling and so, uh, opening up the functionality that's in all the chips, but Intel wants to sell uh, as a enhancement or a, a higher level. Ah, right. Okay. So instead of jailbreaking to let to get other uh, 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 providers available, it's jailbreaking to get other chip performance enhancement functionality or... available. Yep. Oh, oh did... go ahead. No, no. Good. Say, Good. If, they, if they post it, if, if they have things like that and they're in, in the kernel, then I would expect people to be able to see what they were and then bypass whatever the security gate is. Um, yeah, but they'd still have to uh, build their own kernel. Right. And there are fewer people willing to build a kernel than to uh, run firmware. Uh, well, but you could, my assumption would be Intel would make it just a download and they build it for the architecture. It's their chips. So they know which architectures to build for. And they would, they would uh, just, you just swap in the kernel module. That, that would, that should be a pretty low bar. Right. But does the, do the Linux maintainer, kernel maintainers, want that code in Linux? If it's chip specific, probably not. Mm -hmm. Actually, let's let's let let me play this. I I know what they want. <laughs> <laughs> I should they should they be more flexible here? Right? Would it would it serve the community if they were like okay we you know and I, this is what we did with uh what vendoring in kubernetes vendoring in go um made it you know make, making it easier and easier to vendor is is valuable mm -hmm. whereas it, this is it's commercially right yeah uh, rocky go ahead yeah and the mm -hmm. question is you know is is this actually providing an advantage to Intel over other chip companies and making, uh, giving Intel a commercial uh, uh, advantage. I, I was going to uh, say it from a different perspective is in that commercially uh, or or technologically, it's certainly valuable to, to include it. But I think what the Linux maintainers are also Waiting in is whether it's ethical to do so. Exactly, uh, and, ethics and, is the big thing right now. Yeah, and it's it's a pretty pretty important component of the open source community. So it, it cannot be neglected. How would it be unethical? I I I, I want to explore this. I'm sorry if I'm asking questions that are sort of basic, but I, I'm trying to explore the the found the the boundaries on this. Um, I, I guess it would depend on 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 who you're asking. Okay. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so the I I could imagine a lot of people questioning whether locking hardware capabilities between uh, behind software flags uh, is. Again, I got report, but it's akin to to doing a DRM. Um, right. But there's been, a, I mean, there is a big philosophical question around 
whether DRM itself is ethical or not. Um, <laughs> most okay. free, open, free and open source uh, uh, software proponents uh, tend to gravitate towards the no, it's not ethical uh, side of the spectrum. Hmm. And yeah, it's like, okay, so we have Intel has enough oomph to get their stuff in there. What about AMD and NVIDIA now? And suddenly you're getting all this, this code in there that if you look at it closely, there's no way for the Linux uh, reviewers to really verify and validate. They can, uh, so it's, and unless the, the chip manufacturer also donates equipment that uh, is specifically to the, the Linux foundation for doing this stuff, they can't even see whether it works or not, what it's really doing. It could actually be disabling somebody else's chip. Mm-hmm. Or we, we, we remember the, the debacle that, that that existed uh not too long ago about um the, the Intel compiler um performing suboptimal compilations on non-Intel hardware. Oh <laughs> yeah. I missed that. Like intentionally, like it would it would inject um no no margin so call. their margin call. Okay. The, so the 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 Intel compiler had, has, or I don't know if it's has or had, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing it still has them, uh, certain optimizations uh, that it, it, it would use when certain features were available on the chipset. But even, but, but even if you had a chipset that had those features, but however, that, that did not ident- identify as a ch- genuine Intel, then the compiler would not choose those optimizations. Well, that could certainly gotcha. uh, explain why the Linux uh, folks would be leery about what what Intel's trying to do now. Absolutely. The, the thing that I'm... Um, because I, mean, I remember in the early days of Kubernetes, the uh, Kubernetes had built in certain cloud optimizations or cloud integrations. Um, and so part of the first you know, pre-1.0 release pieces was actually pulling back on vendor-specific pieces and creating, like, creating uh, ways that that vendors could add. Because right here, here's my challenge with, with this. I mean, and this is my, I'm trying to be balanced because generally I, I, I agree with you intuitively. And I also know that having a clear and usable boundary for people to add in places where they've you know enhanced the chipset is, is actually a market benefit. It's a user benefit. So you, you want to make it so that a chip manufacturer, NVIDIA is actually, I think, a really good case here, um, is encouraged to have um, cap- you know, capabilities that, that they've been building silicon to, or they've been build, you know, building commercial components around. Um, we just don't want that to be in everybody's shared code. 
right? Rocky's point about who maintains it and operates it and trusts, right? You can't, if you can't test the code, you don't know whether it's going to work or not. Um, and you can't expect AMD to <coughs> sign off on code that only works on Intel stuff. So the open source needs to be the um, level the playing commons. field. Yep. And right in the commons. I don't even <laughs> say a level playing. I mean, to me, this is this is the comp this is the the, the commons. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, you want the open source code to have as much, you know, thorough multi-use testing as possible. That that's right. I mean, what what I what so, I keep trying to do on automation is create stuff where the more people who use it, the better. Um, regardless of their, we don't want a lot of forks. And on top of this, it's like you, you go back to the old memory days and the standards for for memory chips and whatnot. And Micron mm-hmm. would purposely uh, drive the standards to uh, include stuff, only their memory, their patents, had in it, and then people had to license the patent. So theoretically, if Intel could drive the Linux kernel to have things in it that force you to pay patent royalties to Intel, uh, that could be really nasty. Wouldn't be the first time that they've attempted that. (laughs) Yep. And... That's probably one of the reasons why they're so leery about it right now. Hmm. I mean, one of the new challenges, challenges with with any well, one of the challenges with any good IP uh, from a patent protection perspective is that you're going to lay the foundations in the most common path, um, and you could end up you could end up being like, okay, the right way to do something is something that crosses over people's patents. Ideally, if it was a, if it was involving an open source community, this is the right the right answer. OpenStack was trying to do this with getting cloud patents. Um, I don't think we made any progress, but you would want to be, have Intel, even if they had the patent, be able to say for this open source use, it's a li- you know license is given because that otherwise you're right. There's a there's a huge that's actually an ethical problem to wire in your own intellectual property into an open source project or community project. Or spec. It's a legal problem. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I, this is one of the. I think you could do it. You might not. You might not. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, legal problems, um, yeah. To hear about uh, Taiwan restricting uh, exports of technology to Russia and, and Belarus. Under the the Wassenaar agreement. Interesting. Makes sense for Taiwan to do that. How are they? How are they enforcing? Uh, I mean, is this products or or intellectual property in general? Uh, technology in general. Okay. So so it, it basically means that they cannot directly sell to to those countries. I mean, they, they cannot enforce selling to a third-party country in that, in that country reselling it. Right. Um, but uh, the interesting part is that the agreement is is very old, uh, and and, there, and as a result, it, it effectively restricts any technology newer than a two eighty six. 
Ouch. Okay. Did that, does that include embedding of components that are because <laughs> that's where things would start to get really sticky. Yeah. So so basically, Russia cannot buy chips that meet any one of the following conditions from from Taiwanese companies. So it cannot have a performance of of more than five gigaplus. Uh, okay. It cannot operate at higher than 25 megahertz. <laughs> Can I have an ALU that is wider than 32 bits? Um, cannot have more than 144 pins. Uh, Can I have a data transfer rate of higher than 2.5 megabits per, uh, megabytes per second? Uh, so again, <laughs> that's like a strange, it, that's a strange like boxing in. They basically you know took. You know, a, a technology threshold, and just said anything above this, we're we're gonna prohibit. No, so 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 this was was back in the days uh, when when there was a real concern about oh. technology, uh, exported technology being used for 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 armaments. Okay. So uh, so so again, like, uh, and and again, this was an old agreement, but but that agreement was set very specific limits, and. Uh, and it hasn't been rescinded yet, so Taiwan has decided to to start and um, applying oh, it, enforcing it. Okay, yeah. Huh. This is one of the things that you're raising. I saw um, ethical use of open source pieces coming in, where people where um, there were attempts to restrict licenses to prevent mis what people perceived as misuse of open source. Um, is this, I mean, this, this has a little bit, not exactly the same field. This, these are products that are being shipped from Taiwan. Um, yeah. Yeah. So th th this is specifically for hardware. Yeah. But, right. I mean, uh, I guess it, it falls on, on under the under the same context as like a restriction of uh, of encryption strength to uh, right made available to certain countries. Did that work? <laughs> the export uh, export requirements limits. Um, uh, I mean, it, it it blocked. Honest people from using it, and and in those, <laughs> those uh, I, I'm sure that, that 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 any one of those countries uh, like easily got access to the technology, um, but again, it I th I think uh, all of these agreements are, are more for legal recourse. Well, and saying I'll... like I, I'm I'm not selling it to you directly. Um, and, and if someone resells my stuff to you, then uh, I can I have the the legal means to um, to be a identified and, and and b sue you for it. Right, and it's kind of like um, what the U.S. was trying to do with the uh, CFO of Huawei, claiming mm -hmm. that Huawei was selling technology to Iran, and so the U.S acts as the giant hammer behind a lot of these agreements. Uh, what they're finding in some of the Russian military equipment is chips that have literally been taken out of consumer goods and, and uh, 
put into the military equipment. So they're mm-hmm. they're seeing these things that have been repurposed, like removed from from circuit boards in one area and put and put into Russian stuff in another identifiably consumer product chips that are going into these things. Living in interesting times. (laughs) So I I wanted to, that, that that brings me back to the NVIDIA question in, in some ways. Which you haven't really summarized as yet, so I'm not sure what the NVIDIA. I was I was going to cluster. Did you you had you had something you wanted to say? I know I know certain amounts about what NVIDIA is trying to do, but if you if you have a source that you want to quote, that would be probably better. Oh, the, the, that's the the first link I, I posted in chat. The the forensics okay. one uh, about the um uh so the 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 timing the time stamping engine. So um, yeah, so yesterday that the, the, there was an article about you know, Linus the like being on the fence about whether he wanted to allow it to be merged because right now it's only being used by N- Nvidia. Hmm. Um, but I guess the, uh, there was sufficient uh, argument being made that uh, future changes are depending on it being merged. So. Um, the news was that uh, today it actually did get merged. Oh, this is actually to, this is within the last uh, two days. Yeah. Hardware timestamp providers. Interesting. Oh, uh, yeah. And the challenge is only only Nvidia so hardware supports this. What what I know about Nvidia is um so nvidia has um the drivers for nvidia cards are proprietary um and so they can't be part of the linux kernel because they're closed source um which prevents the the community from maintaining improving enhancing the 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 drivers which puts the burden back on nvidia which is actually i don't pretty confident not in NVIDIA's best interest from that perspective. Um, and I, I know that there's interest from NVIDIA side, actually, I believe they've announced the plans for this um, to open source the drivers um, or they, some of the drivers so that they could be included in the Linux kernel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they did open source the, the drivers already, okay. um, but it's... It's it's more of a token open sourcing, like it, it's it like because they, they they still require a binary blob for the firmware, so it, it's more like the Broadcom drivers mm. than than the the Nouveau uh, ones. Um, but it's a move it's a move in the right direction. So uh, not not, yeah. not looking that gift horse in the mouth. Well, it's one of the things about it is that it. You know, you can with firmware do you know move things. <laughs> it's a mix. It's a mixed blessing. You might have dr- drivers that are very software focused today, but are proprietary. Nvidia has the option to open source the you know, like you were saying, token open source, open source the parts of the driver that they're willing to share, and then move other pieces into the firmware. 
so that yeah. the, the they've shifted the boundary. Um, yeah. I. But anyway, I mean, okay, going back they, to they, it, they it, sell they sell a card. I mean, it's it's they're not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're they're selling software too, and there's there's value for them on on the software. Oh, um, if yeah, if you've taken a look at at a lot of their, uh, if you just see their their job openings go by, they are uh, definitely focusing on um, uh, autonomous driving and. Uh, machine learning and right. large large data uh, correlation and whatnot. And so they have all these different products and they have all these different software people writing to make sure that uh, this stuff can be optimized and they can sell optimized chips based on state-of-the-art software. So they are definitely going to be an issue for a lot of different open source as they put their proprietary uh, drivers. They need the proprietary drivers to drive their the extra functions on the chips, and they have to be uh, correlated with the, the open source software. They're also using the, the firmware to uh, restrict use cases for, for their hardware. Like for example, the the some of their their consumer graphics cards uh, cannot be using cannot be used for uh, for cryptocurrency mining. mining. Yeah, uh, and, right. but that's a software lock in, in, in the, or firmware lock. Um, but yeah, but the interesting part is like mm. going back to 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 this um, hardware time stamp, stamping engine is that uh, it's it. It differs a lot from the Intel patch in that the, the Intel patch was a change specifically for Intel hardware uh, that, that could have affected uh, several uh, platforms, uh, whereas this is, this is a change that is specifically for NVIDIA, but it is built in a way that other hardware vendors, not, not, not just graphic cards vendors, but just hardware vendors in general can take advantage of it. Right. Which is, I, to me, that's a good use for open source technology is to be able to say, here is a capability that if you built, uh, it's, a, it's such a mix. If you build to it, then you'll, this is a generally useful capability. So, uh, so hard. So hard. Um. Now, switching topics again. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, other news uh, on 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 the topic or on on the subject of hardware manufacturers and, and software. Uh, Toshiba is evaluating uh, several uh, rebranding changes. I guess you could call it. Or, or, or even uh, like I think they're they're evaluating ten different uh, strategies or or eleven different ones. Ten of those is selling their portfolio to 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 another company, and the last one is rebranding themselves as a software company. Oh, Toshiba. Mm -hmm. Huh. 
Ay. Oh. I was at Dell when Dell, Dell tried to become more of a software company. That's very, it starts from the top. Let me see if I can find the, the news uh, for that. What type of software company do they want to be? <laughs> Social media? They want to be a new TikTok? Uh, I have no idea. That's funny. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and maybe one of the questions for us to explore is what makes a, something a software company versus a hardware company. Because this is like sort of the intersection we've been talking through here is the intersection of, you know, I'm, I'm writing software that's just above the, the hardware layer. Um, but granted, I would tell you this, most of the stuff we talk about is, is software that's right above the hardware layer, right? Even the Terraforms and the Kubernetes, they're not that, that particularly separated. Yeah, I, I found the article and posted it. Cool, thank you. 11 possible futures. <laughs> I mean, these mega companies can e could easily be split. It would be an interesting trend line to see um, some of the, the the huge companies that we're, we have starting to be broken into smaller groups. Um, certainly not the path we've seen, um, even with like VMware uh, being acquired, just makes big bigger. Um, I guess it's it's a it's a sign of the global economic health. So when, when the economy is healthy, uh, the trend seems to be towards conglomeration. Uh, and uh, when it comes to crunch, a lot of companies uh, try to shed their their excess weight. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely a. Okay, there's scandals, right? So the brand is being sullied, split, split it apart, keep the, you know, basically, after you know, cut off the sullied brand. There's a um, legal legal approach for this when um, the Johnson's baby powder. It's going to sound like a strange reference, but oh Johnson's yeah, baby powder, no, that was really nasty. Um, they basically isolated <laughs> the brand down to um, a shell company and then um, and then foisted all of their debt onto it. Right. And then and then let that take the lawsuits. That, that's a Hollywood does that, does that often, too. Like production companies or Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, yeah, so they they create shell companies. Um, or shell production companies for for, for their movies, uh, and then uh, do legal and, and financial wrangling so that uh, on paper that movie is unprofitable. Uh, so they that way they uh, don't have to pay uh, actors as much based on the profit of the movie, right? And, and yeah, there's there's a lot of lawsuits about that. Yeah, it creates a bar for 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 things to move forward. Huh. 
So, I mean, this is one of the things that, that for me in, in the past, when I've seen like open source, it's a way for us to keep intellectual property from getting tied up in these corporate maneuvers. Um, I don't know that it always works though. Yeah. And every once in a while, you've got an Oracle coming in there, uh, throwing a tantrum. That was, that was pretty scary from that perspective because it, the, you know, open source is not free from the intellectual property of the origin of the originators, even if the license is permissive mm -hmm. you know, or scope, which apparently is being resurrected again. What? Yeah, uh, I, I, I heard this uh, like Google's favor. I, I heard this like like two two months ago, give or give or take. Um, like early spring. Uh, was that uh, some uh, some patent troll was trying to resurrect SCO to uh, to bring that lawsuit back? Oh, the SCO one, yeah. yeah. Although it's considering that that the Google Oracle lawsuit just got finally decided by the Supreme Court, it could be harder now. Yeah. Because that literally just happened in the past few weeks, that decision. So maybe the, the folks trying to resurrect SCO will think twice about it. But maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when we talk about license and, and IP ownership on open source stuff all the time, and then we end up with these very, um, you know, we've been talking about bill of materials and software bill of materials and things like that. Um, and no, no open source stands on, on its own from that perspective. Does that continue to create vulnerability with this? I, mean, I know we've talked about S bombs quite a bit, but the challenge becomes: Are you going to have full visibility when vendor X says, "You know what, this S bomb stuff is great, <clears throat> but I've got something super secret in here that I don't want you to see." Um, hmm. I, I. I think that there are technical solutions around that. Uh, similar to, to how we have solutions for KYC and, and KYB, right? You, you, you can have a, a third party that attests that you have a certain, that, or that, that you have a certain S-bomb uh, and, 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 uh, and it's verified without revealing the, the, the contents. Um. Uh, yeah, going going back to the the, the liabilities uh, side of things, um, I don't think the risk is any greater than using proprietary software, or at least not given the current legal landscape. That's fair enough. Right, the proprietary software you just don't know. <laughs> You're counting on the vendor to have done the work. Then, then open source. You could, well, no, you get you get the firewall of the vendor, conceivably, conceivably, versus the inheriting the pieces yourself. 
you know, at the end of the day, uh, like, you know, it's, it's going to come back to somebody pursuing uh, you from that perspective. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to pull pull back. Pull. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna gonna ask like, what was the topic of the day? I guess. <laughs> That's where I was gonna pull. I was trying to pull. I was gonna pull back. So the 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 topic of the day is you know open source faster or slower, um, and we were we were sort of talking about SpaceX and rapid prototyping when we started the topic originally, um, and Elon Musk and 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 getting that to go. And I think today we've been talking about hardware and you know the hardware vendors. Um, enabling features and then basically being blocked um, or or slowed from you know using the open source platforms to propagate those features. But I don't. But the consensus to me is that that's good. We haven't we haven't come back and said, oh yeah, it's it's a travesty that um, you know uh, Nvidia or Intel have not been able to move more quickly to to promote their hardware. Just the opposite. Yeah, and, and, and like my argument is that that the vendors are, are not being blocked from from making those features available. It's just they're they're being blocked from integrating those features into the default kernel. Yeah. Um. And, and as far as the default kernel is concerned, hardly anyone uses it. Like <laughs> it, it, it if you run Ubuntu. You use an Ubuntu specific kernel, one that what that they built. Uh, it may be based on the default source code, uh, but I, I, I can I can almost guarantee you that that it has components that are not in the, in the default one. So uh, perhaps the only exception might be Fedora or or, or Arch Linux, um, but. Mm-hmm. But most distributions, they, they build their own kernels uh, with small patches, um, and and that is fine. Uh, that so the, the the Linux kernel is the reference implementation, yeah, and, right. and Intel being uh, uh, being blocked from from adding the, the their source code to Linux just means that their their patches are not in the reference impl- implementation. They can still be used. Just takes an extra step. Uh, I'd like to point out that DPDK is also one of those things out of Intel that had a rocky inclusion. And they might actually be looking at the DPDK stuff, the Linux kernel folks, specifically because of how it's played out. Because DPDK is very Intel specific and it's now built into all sorts of open source. That's and the 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 NIC acceleration technology. Exactly. The OS, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's one of the things that happens, and we've seen this in projects over and over again, is that a common extension, if the extension reaches critical mass where everybody's doing it, Docker, going back to my example with Docker. Um enough people do it and the you know the the kernel people do pay attention and say okay uh maybe we do need to consider this even if it's one vendor or or from one source it strikes me that ultimately and, and maybe this 
is happening and I'm just missing it is that the, the, these major vendors should be spending a lot of time and effort in ensuring that there is a path for them to extend the kernel and that it's well proven and trusted. And then they can dump their stuff into that along that path. And then everybody in the industry would benefit. It, that, that's essentially what, what Cornetus has been building with their CNI, CSI, um, CRI uh, yeah. extension. So it's it, it some, seems to be like a, a tried and true approach. Well, some of that some of that happened because the first versions of Kubernetes had vendor specific wiring, and mm -hmm. so the other vendors came along and said, "Wait a second you know, either take my version of the wiring alongside of yours, which nobody liked, or help us back it out so that it was um, relatable or it, it was pluggable. Um, the challenge with kernels is that it's, it can be really hard to make a pluggable kernel. The overhead is, is, is high, um, which is why you need something like DPDK. <laughs> um, yeah. It's an interesting, interesting thing. I and those that process slows things down, but ultimately it leaves room for more innovation, more alternatives, and it helps the vendors who are using the plugins because they can then turn things into software that they might not have had as software, but have had to put into the chips. It, it's weird because it feels like what we're describing. Everybody should be nodding, and I feel like we are. But I, it doesn't strike me as it's working. You know, maybe it's better in Kubernetes. It doesn't strike me as it's working as cleanly as we'd like. Um, um, yeah. And I think part of that goes to uh, the the good faith and and history of the various companies. Uh, I mean, you look at the OpenStack history, and they didn't want Red Hat to own. OpenStack and they didn't want Oracle to mm -hmm. own OpenStack. And with Kubernetes, they specifically made it backed out so that it was uh, more of an even play playing field so that Google didn't get the advantage right off the bat. And it's this whole thing about how much do you want these special agendas to own the the open source software. Ah, I, yeah, uh, but at the same, so our, one of the things I remember in OpenStack is when we they did the DNS piece, it, they were so adamant about not having any proprietary requirements behind the scenes though. They, they limited the capabilities of the service to um, uh, what, you know, open so generally available open source load balancers. And that meant that a ton of great features that people needed weren't exposed in the API at all, which then made that that service not particularly compelling. Um, yeah, and that, but that's uh, the baggage of the history. So they the baggage became too heavy for that particular uh, chunk of OpenStack. Uh, speaking of history, we also have to con contrast what or the, the successes and failures in open source to 
the uh, the counterparts in, in closed source. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, look at, for example, Qualcomm. Like they, they've they've uh, strong armed the, their way into the business, mm. uh, and it was certainly commercially successful. But now they're they're essentially getting besieged by by lawsuits and, and antitrust cases uh, because of their past practices. Are yep. you thinking um, but, on the the where where in Qualcomm's business from in the NICs or the the radio chips? Okay, radio chips are on on the processors as, as well. Yeah, the processors. Uh, Huawei had a, an interesting alternative that really worked well, and then they got shut out of uh, a lot of the world because of uh, the U.S. government. But so far as I could tell, Huawei was one of the few companies that migrated away from Qualcomm phone chips. Yeah, like uh, there, there's a there's a there's something big brewing uh, regarding to their Snapdragon uh, chipsets. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's like Samsung. Uh, they're, they're also being. Uh, Getting into hot water because the the light on their on their benchmarks. Uh, so it's uh, there's a lot of arguments in favor of open source that way uh, in in regards to um, to accountability. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is my my dilemma is I I love the idea of having more and more of this open source and available and collaborative, and then I struggle on the sustaining models. You go, you go back to people needing to monetize, and then you get weird behaviors. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely not as not easy being an, an, an open source company uh, and trying to be profitable. Uh, on, on, go ahead. I was going to say, it's going to be interesting watching all the various companies and plus open source as risk five gets commercialized because they're starting to make the chips and whatnot. And it's a matter of how the foundation manages it, plus how it intertwines with all the open source and all the uh, uh, people trying to get an edge up on risk with risk five. That's going to be an interesting dance. I'm actually looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, mostly because it, it, it reminds me of, of of the late nineties uh, <laughs> and early aughts, uh, when 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 we had such a such a vibrant ecosystem of just experimental chipsets and, and hardware. Yes, before before ARM was mm. relegated to to phones and microprocessors and and edge devices. Yeah, like I, like I, I'm thinking like like the B box and uh, and. Uh, yeah. And, and Apple and, and, before it actually went to Intel. Yeah, and uh, the the Crusoe chipset. Oh yeah. It, it it was an interesting time. Yes, it was. <laughs> All right, everybody. And with that, it was an interesting conversation. Not you know we sort of we sort of covered a lot of ground trying to think through how to pull it all together. Wow, 
open source is tricky, and I really appreciate when we have conversations that go deliberately and carefully through what it takes to be a really active member of an open source community and be a vendor adjacent to open source. These are hard problems and ones that we do dig into with the Cloud 2030 uh, and are critical to our future growth and success in these technologies. I hope you will join us at the 2030.cloud. You can see our schedule, topics, and uh, Zoom information. We just get together, we have great conversations, and I would love for you to be a part of it. I'll talk to you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.